If you got your Bibles, go ahead and get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, we're going to be at the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 tonight. But um, before we get started, I want to pray, and then we shall jump on in. Sound good? You guys with me tonight? Are you guys awake? Are you alive? Are you breathing? I'm really tired. I've been playing Call of Duty all weekend because it came out, and I've probably slept a total of like six hours this entire weekend. So, um, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pray that um, I can like read straight and talk and clear and complete sentences, so you guys understand what I'm saying tonight. Let me pray, and then we will jump on into First Thessalonians together. All right, Father, we thank you so much for your mercy, your kindness to us. We thank you for your goodness in the gospel of Jesus that you have invited us to participate in. God, we thank you for all the work that you've done to save us. God, as we, we look at friendship tonight, I pray that we would be reminded of uh, the people in our lives that are close to us. But more than that, Lord, I pray that um, as we investigate and look at what genuine love is, we would see with greater clarity the depth of your love that you've given us in the person of Jesus. And so God, fix our eyes on him tonight. Fix our hearts to you. Help us to pay attention to what your spirit is doing in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. I like that. So, when I was in middle school, hey, when I was in middle school, when I was in middle school, we didn't have, we didn't have smartphones. We had flip phones. Does anybody know what a flip phone is? You guys remember? Okay, sweet. So, so a flip phone, a flip phone, side. do you have a flip phone on you right now? Okay, let me see it. This is great. You know the best thing about a flip phone is? It's the only way in the history of time right now that you can actually hang up on somebody and it looks super cool. I'm just saying. It's just, it's just great. Here you go. Um, so I had a flip phone, and so we didn't text a lot. If you want to know why, you can look at size phone, and it has a keypad on it, and you've got to hit like a letter or a number like six times to get to the letter that you want, and then wait for the cursor to move, and then do it again, and then wait for the cursor to move, and then do it again. Um, and so we didn't text a lot. We talked on the phone. And so, you know, when I was in middle school, um, I don't necessarily agree with this, but like my parents let me have, you know, boyfriend, or not boyfriend, I didn't have a boyfriend, weird. Um, <laughs> great. Great. See, that, that's, what, that's what six hours of sleep all weekend does right there. There it is. That's just so you know. So, but, but like, so my, my parents let me date, right? So, like, I had a girlfriend when I was in middle school, my first one. Her name was Anna. She, we were in sixth grade together. And, um, and so it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't any Anna that's in here, I promise. That would be weird. Because um, then she would have never grown up in, like, the ten years since I've been in middle school. But... That sounds super cool on the microphone. Anyway, squirrel. Um, so Anna and I, and, and this happened with future girlfriends, but instead of texting or, or anything like that, we would spend a lot of time talking on the phone, right? So let me ask you this. Have you ever had like a, a phone conversation with somebody that went like longer than an hour or two, maybe? Yeah, yeah, okay. So you're tracking with me. So, but like, but so Anna and I, we would, we would talk on the phone, and we would spend a lot of time talking, and um, about towards the end of the conversation, um, we would get into like a 15 to 20 minute like argument, always at the end of the conversation, and here's how, here's how it would go. I love you. 
I love you more. No, I love you more. No, no. You're a liar. I love you more. No, 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 no. I love you more. And we would go back and forth like this, right, over and over and over again. Also, when I was in middle school, I had some friends, and and at at a certain point in my relationship with these friends, uh, I decided that they were jerks, or on the flip side, they decided that I was a jerk, and these words came out of either my mouth or their mouth. You're not my friend anymore. You're not my friend anymore. The interesting thing is most people have said both of those phrases. I love you, and you're not my friend anymore. And I think, it's, I think it's really interesting because when we think about friendship, I don't think we, we typically think about love, really, when we think about friendship. Because I think today in our culture, here's what we've done. We've taken love and we've, we've made it an emotion. And love is not an emotion. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Um, love is actually the, the, the highest valued p- part of a friendship. If you don't have love in a friendship, you don't have a genuine friendship. And we're going to unpack what the Bible has to say about what it means to actually genuinely love someone um, in a way that is God-glorifying and in a way that makes a friendship really mean something much more than how we typically look at it uh, as we see Paul's relationship with this church here uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But here's why I think we 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 have an issue when we think of friendship. Here's why. I want your eyes when I say this. You and I typically do not connect Jesus to friendship. We don't. We might, we might think that um, friendship can be a place where I can let my relationship with Jesus be known, right? So like um, if, if you and I are hanging out and we're friends and I don't know Jesus and you do, like maybe you might use that opportunity to talk to me about who Jesus is or, or whatever, right? Um, but, but loving people in a friendship means that your friendship actually revolves around Jesus. At the center of your friendship and everything that makes your friendship significant is the person of Jesus. He's the one holding the friendship together. He's the one who gives the friendship significance. And he's also the one who helps you understand how to best love your friend well, right? Because the goal in a friendship should not be, right? So if me and, if me and Mason are friends, my goal in my friendship with Mason should not be like, what can I get out of this friendship, right? So like if Mason has an Xbox, do you have an Xbox? What do, you, do you have a video game system? PS4? You horrible person. Um, so, so Mason has a PS4. Maybe I don't have a PS4, right? And so I leverage or I use my friendship with Mason to play PS4. Now let me ask you something. If that's my approach to that friendship, do I love Mason or do I love his PS4? Exactly. I think many of us, if, if, if we... If we um, if we're honest with ourselves, um, have probably used somebody, and in, in maybe not for a PS4, but in a similar way in our, in our lives. Ladies, eyes, I want to see him. Eyes, you've been tying your shoes for like 10 minutes. Are you okay? Okay. Well, hey, if you guys pay attention, please. I promise we won't be here very long. But so, we don't think of loving people in ways that connect to our faith in Jesus. Why am I saying this? Because again, truly loving a person, I want you to hear this, truly loving a person means attaching yourself to their spiritual condition. Now that, that, those are big words. I want you to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about what that means here in a minute, but I want you to remember that. If you're like a note taker and you want to write something down, talk about it. You can write this down. True love is attaching yourself to another person's spiritual 
condition. We're going to see Paul do that in 1 Thessalonians. Okay, and uh, we're going to start by reading verses 17 through 18 right now. Does somebody who can read, which is pretty much everybody in this room, want to read this? Go for it. Okay, thank you. Good work. Way to just jump in there. Okay, so we see, we see two things here. Check this out. So he says, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, you guys have had many people kind of come back here and talk about the book of 1 Thessalonians. But one of the things that we know about 1 Thessalonians, we actually read about it in Acts. Acts chapter 17 tells the story of Paul, who is this missionary. He goes into a church or, or a city called Thessalonica, and he goes in there to plant and start a Jesus movement in the city. So Paul goes, he starts a Jesus movement in a city, a church starts out of the process, but then some people don't really like what Paul is saying, and so they, they like start like rioting against the church. And so Paul's, these people are rioting against the church, and um, it's so dangerous for Paul that the church actually has to like sneak him out of the city, and then he goes to a nearby city called Berea. And so that's what he means when he says, we are forced to leave you, in person, but not in heart. They were pushed out of the city by the bad things that were happening in this city. And so Paul now is writing back to them to see how they're doing and to encourage these people in the gospel. And so he says, we greatly desire, right? So like we were forced to leave, but then we, like we wanted to return and we made every effort to return, but Satan hindered us. And, and that might be weird language for us, right? I don't think like, like, you know, Cade and I hang out and like if I make every effort to like hang out with Cade and it doesn't work out, I don't say like, dude, Satan totally hindered me from getting it, being able to hang out with you. like we, we just don't talk like that today. So here's the reality. In this situation, Paul was trying to make an effort to get back into Thessalonica so that he could see his friends, so that he could invest in their faith, so that he could help them in the midst of their struggles and, and what was going on in this city where they were facing a lot of hard times for following Jesus. And so, and so what happens here is he says Satan hindered them. Here's what I want you to get out of that. There are spiritual forces that affect our everyday way of life. Sometimes for the positive, the Holy Spirit is a prominent example of that, right? My prayer when I step in here and do this is that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that when you hear my voice, you don't hear John, you hear the scriptures, you hear the gospel, you hear Jesus and his message and his good news, right? Like that's my prayer when I get up here. And so that's a way that I'm asking unseeable spiritual realities that exist that we cannot see to, to, to interact with and involve themselves in this situation right now. That's something that I want. That's what I'm asking when I pray. But there's also spiritual forces that are evil and in rebellion against God that might tempt you into sin. Or if you're trying to do something, they could hinder you in some way. And we don't know exactly what happened and all the details of this. And um, personally, like for me, if it's not in the Bible, I'm not going to go there. So I don't know what happened. I don't know how Satan hindered them, but I, but I think that's an important thing to notice. But Paul made every effort to be with these people. The first thing we see about love is that love desires to be near other people. Love desires to be near the ones that they love. Paul wanted to be near to the Thessalonian church, and he made every effort not just to see them, but to see them face to face. He wrote a letter 
But Paul didn't want to just write a letter. Paul wanted to be there. Paul didn't want to send a text. He didn't want to make a phone call. He wanted to be there in person to see them face to face because you and I both know that there is something very, very special about being in face-to-face relationships with other people. That's why, like, when people come over to my house, I'm like, yeah, because I love when people are in my house. It's the, that's when relationships grow, when we're, we're present with each other face-to-face. And so we see Paul make every effort to do this. Paul's love for the church was expressing his desire to be with them. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Okay. There is, there is, um, my, my mom, my mom lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's 800 miles south east of here, because um, that's where North Carolina is. And uh, my mom loves my son. Sometimes I think my mom loves my son more than I do. Like, my mom loves my son. Every time we're on the phone, she's asking me how he's doing. She's wanting to Skype with him because she can't see him. She's 800 miles away. So, like, what's the best thing she could do? Like, to to FaceTime or to Skype or pull up some sort of video communication so that we can, like, talk to one another and she can see his face even though she can't physically be present with him. She's always asking. Sometimes I'm like, Mom, this is... like, I never tell her this, but sometimes I'm, like, irritated. Like, I don't really feel like doing this tonight, but, like, my mom loves him and wants to see him. And, and it's my responsibility as my son's dad and my mom's son to be the bridge so that they can have a quality relationship with one another. I believe that that's a huge responsibility. I want my son to see his grandma in, like, an amazing light. I want him to have a good relationship with his grandma. So it's my responsibility to, like, make that happen or try to make that happen, right? But she loves seeing this kid. And it's really strange because, uh, you know, some of you guys have, like, seen my son or interacted with him, and I'm sure you didn't have, like, much of a conversation. Like, he probably, like, you said a few words, he, like, nodded his head and then bolted in the other direction, right? Like, he's not going to talk to you. He's two. He wants to go play. And um, my mom doesn't care. She will literally watch him play. She doesn't care. She just wants to see him. She wants to see him play. She wants to interact with him. She's cool with him saying two words and then running away as long as she can see him run away. Like, she just wants to be with her grandson so much so that she'll settle for that and, and bug the snot out of me to like make it happen. Here's, here's the thing about love, and I, and I want you to hear this. Is love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Because if love was a feeling, then love couldn't be permanent. My marriage is a perfect example of that. If my love for Sarah was a feeling, then I would be completely fine with getting out of the relationship when I quit feeling like it. But if, if I got a divorce with Sarah because I didn't feel like being with her anymore, all of you would be like, John, you're jacked up. Why did you do that, you jerk? Right? Like, that's just kind of how you all would be. You'd be like, really? Why? Because love, is, it's not a feeling. It's a commitment. And you see that here. Paul, is, Paul wants to be in this dangerous situation to encourage the Thessalonian church because of his commitment to them. Not just because he felt like it, but because he had a relentless commitment to be near these people. Let's look at verses 2, 19 through 3, 5. Um, I will read this because it's a bigger section, but you guys can track along with me. It's up here on the screen. 2, 18 through 3, 5, or 2, 19 through 3, 5. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So he says, we wanted to see you, but we couldn't. 
Satan hindered us. And then he immediately says, who is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus? Is it not you? Paul is using some incredible language to describe how much these people mean to him. He says, indeed, you are our glory and joy. If you have a Bible and you like to write in it, I'd encourage you to underline hope, joy, and crown of boasting because we're going to come back to those and talk about them in a minute. Verse, uh, verse 1 in chapter 3, Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, which is the city that he was writing them from, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that, why? Why did Paul send Timothy to strengthen and encourage these people? Because, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter, back up to Satan hindering, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. Love is being aware of someone's position in God. So love is desiring to be near someone, but love is also being aware of someone's position in God. The first thing that comes out of Paul's mouth is this. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Now let me ask you something. When you think of a crown, what comes to mind? A king. Okay, perfect. Raise your hand if you thought king or royalty. Good. This is typically what people in 2018 think of when they think crown. Not what Paul's talking about here. You see, in the first century when this was being written, um, in athletic games, when, you know, like track and field or any kind of athletic games that were going on, I don't think track and field existed 2,000 years ago. Maybe it did. I don't know. But any sort of athletic games or competitions that would happen, the winner would get a crown. But it was not a royal crown. It was like a wreath. You might have seen these in movies, almost like a plant, like a wreath that went around, almost like a U and stopped here and it rested on their ears. And it was, it was the victor's crown. It was a sign of triumph. It was a sign of dedication. It was a sign of hard work. It was a sign of basically everything that you can think like a state championship trophy or a Super Bowl ring or like those things symbolize all the heavy symbolism that goes into those images, the victor's crown that Paul is talking about here. He says that the Thessalonian church themselves are that trophy, that crown that victory. It's a very interesting way to describe these people. Well, why is he describing them as his hope, his joy, and a crown? Because he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. He says, who is our our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting? When? At, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. Why is that important? The hope of Paul as a Christian, was not dying and going to heaven. That was not Paul's great hope in following Jesus. I think many of our hopes, when we think of our faith, we, we have a lot of buy-in when it comes to our faith because when we die, we want to go to heaven. It's not a bad desire. Here's the thing. It's an incomplete desire. It's an incomplete desire. Paul was much more concerned with being in the presence of Jesus which still happens to be heaven, right? Heaven's space is God's space. Um, 
when Jesus returns, he will actually bring heaven to earth, so we won't spend eternity like in the clouds. We'll spend eternity like on a planet, like on like solid ground, and um, heaven and earth will be united once again. That's what Revelation 20 through 22 talks about, is heaven coming to earth. But then what we see here is, is Paul is encouraging them because he's confident that when Jesus returns, guess who's going to be with Paul standing before Jesus when he returns? His friends in Thessalonica. Paul is confident that he will see them and be with them when Christ returns. And both of them together will be in the presence of Jesus. Paul's not just greatly concerned that that he, he might not see them again. Paul's main concern is that they're in the presence of Jesus. Paul's greatest desire for these people is for them to be in the presence of Jesus. What Paul longs for more than anything else with this friendship is for his friends in Thessalonica to be what? In the presence of Jesus. It's all about being in the presence of Jesus, being with Jesus, being united to Jesus, being bonded together with Jesus. I'm going to say the same thing like 50,000 different ways. That's Paul's main concern. And that has everything to do with their spiritual condition. Are they in Christ? Well, if they are in Christ, then guess what? They're united to Jesus. If they're not in Christ, they're, they're, they're separated from Jesus. And so Paul, right here, he's saying, man, are they in Christ? Yes, you're in Christ. I'm going to remind you how confident I am of God and his work in you because I know that you will be present with me when Christ returns. We're going to stand in the presence of Jesus and you will be my crown of of boasting. I will boast in you. I will boast of the work that God did in you because my work, my work brought victory because you are in the presence of Jesus. You see what Paul's saying here? Paul's comparing his relationship to them as contending in a race. And the fact that the Thessalonians will be present with Jesus is Paul feeling like he wins the race. These people were evidences of Paul's hard work for the gospel. And it brought him great hope. It brought him great hope. And then he even talks about, you know, when we couldn't stand it any longer, I left myself alone in Athens, which Athens is not a Christian area. It's like the furthest thing from a Christian area. So Paul left himself in a potentially dangerous position in Athens by himself because he cared so much for these people. He sent his friend Timothy, his helper Timothy, essentially his like ministry assistant, to go to this city to see how they were doing. And so Paul sacrificed all of his comfort and safety to send the, this guy to, Ath- or to Thessalonica so that he could hear about their faith. And the interesting thing that Paul says here is he says um, he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them in their faith, to strengthen and encourage them because he was afraid that the Thessalonians would be tempted to be shaken or drift away because of the affliction and the suffering and the difficulty that was going on in their city. Paul's afraid that the difficulty of following Jesus was going to make these people want to turn away from Jesus. And so he sent Timothy to kind of recenter them on the gospel, to remind them of the gospel, to remind them of their faith in Christ. Then finally, love is being concerned with the condition of somebody's faith. We're going to talk about how these two things are different, faith and their, their position in God. But I'm going to read this final passage and then... Uh, we will talk about this. So 6 through 10, but now Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy came to 
Thessalonica to hear about the church's work, and then he came back to Paul and reported what happened. He's come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. So Paul's even saying, like, Timothy came back, told us about what's going on, and in all the suffering and all the difficulty and all the hardship that I'm experiencing, I was encouraged in the faith because of what God's doing in this church. He says, for now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God? Listen to this. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith? I have a friend that um, I love. And um, he's gone through a really, really hard time. He's had um, essentially like really, really intense family drama. Um, His wife left him. And um, he's just going through a hard time right now. And life is hard for this person. Um, It's difficult. They're tempted consistently. Uh, Following Jesus for them is just in this place where it's very hard because a lot of times they don't feel like it. Right? They don't feel like it. So following Jesus is really hard for them. Every time I get the opportunity to talk to this person and they tell me what God is doing in their life, in light of all of this crazy family drama and difficulty and pain and all this stuff, when I hear glimpses of what God is doing in that difficult family situation, it brings me so much. I like bubble over in gratitude and thankfulness. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage, the same idea of bubbling over and and gratitude and thankfulness for what God is doing in this church because it encourages him in the faith, it challenges him in the faith. It might sound weird for you to hear to be encouraged or strengthened in the faith. That might be strange. And I think the reason why it's strange is because a lot of us think of faith as just belief. Right? We think of the faith as like, like, I believe Carson is a Tennessee fan. So we would say that I have faith that Carson is a Tennessee fan. Well, I see that Carson has a Tennessee shirt on, whatever. But we think of faith along those terms. Faith is not just belief. It's confidence. It's confidence. Let me put it this way. Here's where faith goes wrong. Everybody knows like a super cocky athlete. Right? Everybody probably knows one. You've probably met a super cocky athlete or seen one on TV or whatever. A super cocky athlete has a lot of faith in themselves. They have a lot of confidence in themselves. That confidence leads them to action that revolves around who? Themselves. Faith is not just believing in something that we don't see. It's actually having confidence in something that we don't see. So much confidence that it affects the way that we live. That's why Paul says, by faith, in Christ, by confidence in Christ, by confidence in Christ and what he's accomplished, we're saved because we've experienced the grace and the mercy of God. Now, here's the deal with faith. You can have strong faith and you can have weak faith. Faith is like a muscle that you have to exercise. And the way that you exercise that muscle is you do things like, like reading the scriptures, coming here and hearing the word of God proclaimed 
buying into what you're hearing and, and asking God, Lord, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? What are you, what are you saying to me? These are all ways that we, we exercise the muscle of faith. And here's the reality. Some of you in here, you have weak faith. Some of you have no faith. But some of you have weak faith. And it's, it's because you, there's a lack of exposure to the graces that God has given us to, to, to hear and be with him. You see, because when I, when I open up my Bible and read it, I'm experiencing the nearness of God, the presence of God. And when I'm experiencing the nearness of God, guess what? My confidence in God goes this way. This is just an example. The, the, the Word of God is not the only way that we can do this. It's just an example. Prayer is another example. Spending time with other believers who challenge and encourage us in our faith, who boost our confidence in Jesus. Their presence boosts our confidence in Jesus. Paul sent Timothy to boost this church's confidence.